Church, Micah Stevens here. You get to be a part of what I think is the greatest setup we've ever done at Faith Promise. We built this entire studio set to surprise April and John Lindsay. They have no idea why they're coming in, but we are about to share with them how their story changed another couple's life forever. Let's do this. Pastor calls doubt the hidden shame in the church. And I wanted to talk to a couple that have been through a lot. And the reason I brought you in is because I want to know the human reaction when something terrible happens in our lives. I want to know about faith. I want to know doubt, frustration, anger, fear. Why you? I want to know when you first received the news that you had a child that may never live outside the womb that you were told to abort, you were told to terminate the pregnancy, how you and your family reacted through that awful circumstance. I felt a lot of disbelief, a lot of, this isn't happening to me, surely not. You know, this is something that happens to other people, not me, not our family. And then it turned into just anger. I was very mad, very mad thinking, why, why can't this, happen to this person or that person that's not living right or, you know, give this problem to somebody else. We all have different reactions when we receive terrible, earth-shattering, life-changing news. When you found out about your child, Mitchell, and what was to become of him, what was his future, and all the question marks and all the uncertainty, did you ever doubt God? Did you ever ask why? You know, as Christians, we feel like we're not supposed to ask those questions. We, we feel bad, we feel shame for the doubt and the trepidation of moving forward. So for you, I want the, the real reaction to when you got the news, how did you feel? A lot of it was, I went through a lot of what did I do? Um, I'm, I went back over everything I ate, everything I consumed, um, things I did, you know, I, I knew it, it was the caffeine I drank or it was, but it also was, okay, what it, it ended up turning into, okay, God, show me what you're trying. I need to know what you're trying to teach me. Show me what you're trying to do here. And so, but it was both. Wow. Darkness has fallen on the garden. Thomas, the rest of the disciples awake from attempting to pray with Jesus. Thomas sees Jesus as not himself. Jesus seems distracted. Jesus seems like his mind is elsewhere. The disciples and Jesus are walking out of the garden when they see the Roman guard approaching. Seeing a Roman guard never made the disciples feel too comfortable. They walk straight to the group and they took Jesus. Jesus put up no fight, was taken, and the disciples sat and watched as Jesus was taken into the darkness with the Roman soldiers. Not knowing what to do or think, fearing that they would be arrested next, they fleed out of fear. The next day, Thomas watches as Jesus stands trial for treason. 
Jesus is brought before Pilate with the accusation that he is a rebel rouser trying to overthrow the Romans. He stands there in silence as accusations are thrown against Jesus. Before the sentence is handed down, the crowd grows restless. You hear one man say, crucify him, kill Jesus. And shortly after that, the entire crowd has joined in shouting, crucify him, kill Jesus. Pilate, fearing a Jewish uprising, a riot, gives in to their demands and sentences Jesus to death. But death would not come soon enough. The followers of Jesus, those that loved him the most, those that followed him, those that served alongside him, had to watch as Jesus was dismantled piece by piece. First, Jesus was tied to a log and scourged with a weapon called the cat of nine tails. A soldier would whip it around Jesus' torso. It would clink in to the skin and tear away flesh from bone. His beard was pulled out. He was mocked and spat upon, beaten. A crown of thorns crafted just for his head, and they crammed it down his skull. Mocking him, king of the Jews, a crown fit for a king. Thomas, fearing persecution, did not want to come too close. So he watched from afar as his friend, his savior, was spiked to a cross on a Roman killing ground called Golgotha. And as the blood, the breath, and the life drained from Jesus, so did the hope from Thomas. What was he to do? What was he to think? Thomas, a commercial fisherman that spent his days on the warm sand of the Sea of Galilee. One day a man approaches him, calling himself Jesus, and asking Thomas to drop everything in his life, including fishing, and follow him. Thomas was told he was going to become a fisher of men. Thomas obeyed. And then began the three most amazing years of Thomas's life. As he watched this man do the miraculous. He watched as all Jesus would need is mud in his hands to wipe over a blind man's eyes. And him being able to see. He watched as a group of friends so excited to see Jesus, to heal their friend. They cut a hole in the stranger's roof and lowered their friend down before Jesus in hopes he would heal them. And of course, Jesus came through. Thomas following Jesus through a crowd of people anxious to talk, anxious to touch Jesus. A woman that had been bleeding for 12 years only needed to touch the hem of his garment and was made well. A crowd of over 5,000 men sit on a hillside listening to Jesus teach. They grow weary and anxious as they become hungry. The disciples insist to Jesus, send them home so they can feed themselves. Jesus, as he often did, turned the question back to the disciples. Why don't 
you feed them. And then Thomas watches in amazement as a small boy's lunch satisfies the cravings of the entire crowd. And now he's dead. This man that seemed invincible, the man that Thomas watched walk on water, is now crucified, died, and buried. Questions, fear, doubt, rage started to wave over Thomas. Questions, was this man a fraud? What was I seeing? For three years did I waste my life? And rage filled the heart of Thomas. The Lindsays endured a trial, a tragedy few can imagine. As their sons Mitchell was told he would not live. They were told to abort this child, terminate the pregnancy, end this pain. You look around the world, you see cancer, brokenness, divorce, school shootings, people hurting one another for no reason. I find myself asking the most cliche question. If God is so good, why is the world so bad? As Thomas sits on the edge of his faith, as the Lindsays stand at the edge. Many of us may have not endured a trial as tragic as bearing a child, but even in the mundane moments in our lives, we still experience doubt. We still experience disbelief and frustration. The question I want to pose this weekend is what will you fill that space with? When you have those questions and doubts, when you have these trials and tribulations, when we have these difficult, when we have these pain, mountains that seem too high, wounds seem so deep and so fresh that we believe that they will never close. Will you fill it with doubt, fear, and anger, or hope, and peace, and faith? The Sunday after the death of Jesus, the disciples reluctantly meet for dinner in the upper room the last place they had dinner with Jesus. Thomas is not among them. There are whispers at dinner as they eat. The door is locked for fear of persecution. The disciples know that the Romans are quick to snuff out the rest of this rebellion after the death of Jesus. Whispers, shock, is he really dead? What are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? Then Jesus enters the upper room without any use of the door. He stands before his disciples. They are amazed. Can this really be him? Is this really Jesus? And they see the holes in his hands. Jesus lifts the outer garment to show the wound in his side, and the disciples are sure this is him. It's Jesus. He's risen from the dead, and they rejoice. They have dinner with Jesus. They are so excited they praise and worship Jesus. After the excitement dies down, the disciples look at one another knowing they have to find Thomas. They have to tell Thomas 
What has happened? That Jesus is alive. They begin their search. Knowing Thomas is frustrated and angry, he's trying to hide from everyone. And they find him. Thomas is still bitter, head down, teeth clenched. Thomas, you won't believe who we saw. A fitting sentiment for Thomas. Jesus. Thomas, Jesus is alive. He appeared to us in the upper room. The door was locked, and he appeared just the same. We saw the wounds in his hands. Thomas, he showed us the scar on his chest. But he is not sick. He's not weak. Jesus is alive. Not for a moment was Thomas swayed. Not for a moment did Thomas hope or believe. With ice in his veins and a bite in his voice, he barked back, I do not believe. You're seeing what you want to see. I watched Jesus die. I watched them bury him. And a piece of me died as well. Peter, move on. The sooner you believe that, the sooner your life will get better. The last words out of Thomas's mouth were, unless I see the holes in his hands, unless I put my hand in the hole in his side, I will never believe. A few days go by. Sunday comes. The disciples meet again to break bread with one another. Thomas's anger has subsided, so he joins his brothers for dinner. The door is still locked. Fear of the Romans is still very much alive. And Jesus appears again. Shalom. Peace be with you. But this time, Jesus is different. This time, Jesus does not seem to speak to the entire room, just to Thomas. All of the blood rushes from Thomas's face. All of the emotions, the doubt, the fear, the questions, the, as this hymn begin to crash over Thomas, he can barely stand it. Tears begin to burst forth from his eyes. The only thing he can say is, my Lord, my God. Jesus says nothing to Thomas, just walks over and lifts his hands for Thomas to examine. Lifts the outer garment says, Thomas, put your hand in my side. It's me. Believe. Thomas has now fallen to his knees. He weeps aloud. The disciples watch as this moment happens between Jesus and Thomas. Thomas cannot think of anything else to say, but once again he says, my Lord, my God. One of the most rewarding aspects of our department, the creative team's job, is to capture the stories of how God interacts with his people, with his children. And we received a story, and it truly shook me to my core, and it's changed me, and it's changed everybody that's read it. We captured it on film, and we would love to show it to you right now. We were going to find out what we were having. So it was really exciting, and we were going to have our 
anatomy scan and all of that. So we go in there and um, within one minute, they already knew that it was a boy. He was moving around a lot and they didn't say much for a little while. They brought in a second ultrasound tech. Before long, there were three people in the room with us, not two. And one was typing while the other two were sort of trying to move me in positions. They moved me on my side. They moved the bed to where my feet was up and my head was back. I knew they were either trying to find something or something was wrong. I truly didn't even imagine it was gonna be what they told me. never thought that that would be something that I would consider. I think I just wanted to end the hurt and we had been told that we had such a low chance that his heart would not survive outside the womb. At that point, I wouldn't even look at his ultrasound pictures. From the joy of it being a boy and all that, I didn't want to see anything else about it. I took him home and put him in my Bible. Um, never really expecting that I would see him. I don't think I've ever questioned God like I did at that time. I wasn't mad at him, I just didn't understand. And I felt like, what have I done? What did we do so wrong to cause this to happen? And how would we ever, ever live with joy? The Sunday before Christmas, I felt too full of guilt and shame, I think, to go to church because I knew what was getting ready to happen, but I also really didn't get out of the house for probably two weeks. I mean, it was all I could do to get out of pajamas. I, I just wanted to hide somewhere and never come out again and not face what was reality, just hope that maybe it wasn't real. And that Sunday morning, David was at work, so my son had said, well, why don't we watch Faith Promise online? And toward the middle of the service, they started to show a testimony. Um, I remember the wife's name was April, and she was pregnant. They had had a diagnosis, and the doctors had talked to her about aborting their baby. And she didn't even consider it. She talked about how God gave her the peace to go through all this. And their baby only lived 45 minutes after birth and how that she would not have questioned it or done it any other way and even through the pain and the hurt they felt like he accomplished in his 45 minutes what god had seen him to do i was crying too hard to even see my computer at this point um and before i even had a chance to even process it all, I'd received a text message on my phone and it was actually David and he was at work that Sunday and he was watching the same message online and he said, we have to keep this baby. Now, I didn't necessarily like that I was choosing that because I wanted to hurry up and, you know, fix everything and sometimes God's will is scary and what's even scarier is the unknown. We didn't know. We didn't know if our baby would make it through the whole pregnancy. We didn't know what would happen when he was born. We didn't know any of that, but what we did know that day was that I was not gonna have a termination. We decided that, you know, we were gonna give God this baby. We were gonna let him choose how long his life was gonna be. John, April, it's been a privilege to walk alongside you and it's been unbelievable to watch all the things that have happened through your story. Because of your strength, your faith, 
and your willingness to walk a difficult walk, I would be honored to introduce you to beautiful baby Elijah. pleasure of discussing no. baby Elijah and God's faithfulness. <laughs> I have no idea what it would be like to lose and bury a child. The days after losing Mitchell, did you ever imagine something like this could have taken place through what I would say would be the hardest time of your life? But you know, the whole time we were going through it, I kept saying to God, just let this touch somebody. And then when we did our story in December, I prayed that it would speak to somebody, just even one, if it spoke to one person that it was worth telling his story. My favorite part of Thomas' story is in the upper room. Jesus appears, not with anger in his voice, not with shame. He doesn't attack Thomas. He doesn't beat him over the head with verses about having faith in difficult times. He simply shows him his hands, the scars, and says, it's me, Thomas believe. It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't proclaim Thomas as the doubter. We did that. The church calls him Doubting Thomas. And most of us leave Thomas in John chapter 20 at the end. We hear Thomas in church. Yes, Thomas the doubter, we get it. But after Thomas sees his Savior risen. Everything clicks in over the past three years. And Thomas, now Saint Thomas, preacher to India. There are churches all across that were planted because of Thomas. Jesus doesn't condemn the doubters. He calls them. One of the scariest things Miss Lugo said was I felt too too much shame and too much guilt to come to church. That sounds like I'm too sick to go to the hospital. Faith promised this is the place where imperfection is allowed. This is the place where you can come and doubt. You can come and question. Because hear me, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is emotion we feel being flawed, experiencing things that we didn't think that we were able to handle. April said, why couldn't this have happened to someone else? Why couldn't this have happened to this person or that person that wasn't living right? 
I believe it's because someone else would have aborted Mitchell. Someone else would have terminated that pregnancy when they were not only told, they were encouraged to by medical professionals. And baby Elijah may have never been born. You are not going through the pain and sorrow for no reason. Thomas doubted. Thomas doubted to the very core of who he was. But Thomas saw and believed. This weekend, you may be filled with doubts about salvation, about the Bible, about the existence of God. It's okay. This is the place. And Jesus is here, standing there with his hands open. His wounds laid bare, saying, believe in me. Believe in me. When I was deciding what to wear this weekend, which was a big decision, big, big decision, I laid out all my clothes yesterday. I told Joy, prepare for the fashion show. <laughs> I have a couple options. I have a couple sizes. See what you like the best. And I was thinking, bulletproof, let's wear a bulletproof vest. That'll work. That fits. So I was excited. I had like combat boots on. I had a tight white shirt on. Got the vest all, snapped the Velcro, the Velcro in. And I strutted out. What do you think? No. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Go back in your room. Think about what you've done. And change. But when I was wearing this vest, I had a realization. Hopefully, no one has experienced being shot in the chest while you're wearing a bulletproof vest. But if you were to ask someone, like many of the cops that serve our incredible church, the bullet stops you from being killed, but there's still pain. There's still bruising. You may not have a story like the Lugos or the Lindsays. You may have brokenness, prayers that have never been answered, relationships that have never been mended. Cancer that has never been healed. Death that has never truly gone away. I believe with all my heart that every Christian that questions, he's right behind us with his hands open saying, believe. I love you. Let's pray. God, you are amazing a father among fathers. Your glory knows no bounds. Your creativity knows no limits. Your forgiveness and love. And I truly believe if Thomas was standing before us, he would speak to the doubters, talk about his pain and his past. But it did not end there. Yes, Thomas doubted, but it wasn't the end of the world. Thomas, and a smile would come across his face, as he thought of seeing his risen Savior. All across all of our campuses this weekend, God, there is pain, there is hurt, and there is sorrow. 
And we look to your hands. We look to your, wo- your wounds. And we keep going, knowing that you are forging us for something greater. We thank you, and we love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. It's been good to be in the house, Lord, this weekend, church. Stories like that change people's lives. If you have a story, if you've been encountered by God, send us your stories. Stories at faithpromise.org. We would love to capture those and continue telling people's stories of how God is interacting with Faith Promise because he's doing amazing work in our church. If you made a decision in any kind, if you doubt your salvation, find the communication card, write it down. We would love to help you with that relationship with God. We'd love to talk with you, answer as many questions as we can. If you're not in a small group, what are you thinking? I don't know what I would do without my small group. I was loading rocks for my rock garden that I'm creating in my house. The first person I called was someone in my small group. They have to help me. <laughs> There's food there most of the time. It's a win-win. Get in the small group. We'll help you find one that's your age group, your life stage, near your house. We do everything. So go to the Next Steps area. Find a small group. Get connected. We love you guys so much. Invite somebody next week, and we'll see you next week, and we love you guys so much.